to the area. Janssen stabbed through. Chance. Shot. Goal! Full stop! Unbelievable scenes at the end for the derby! Hello and welcome to Scarves Around the Funnel, the podcast dedicated to Heart of Midlothian Football Club, who all but surely have third wrapped up before the split, which means everyone, get your passports ready. I'm Ryan McGowan, standing in for our usual host, Laurie Dunsire, who won't be joining us tonight, but I'm glad to be joined by the one and only Mark Donaldson. Hold on here. Hold on here. That's not your normal voice. Is this Barry that Humphreys was very professional, something? wasn't it? Hello, that was welcome professional. to Scarves Around the Funnel. I'm Ryan McGowan. How are you? That, that, that was all right. That, that was all right. But that was not bad? Not bad. I hopefully I, I did Laurie justice there. I, I think you did, but you, you went in, You fell into the trap that we all fall into. Um, if I went on air with a Pennycook accent, I'd get kicked out. So I kind of have to just slightly um, make it a little bit posher. Hello and welcome to Scarves Around the Funnel. Ryan, how are yes. you today? Yes, that's my hosting voice. I'll, yes, I'll use this all night tonight. No, no, you're not. No, give it ten minutes. Once we introduce our guest, you'll just and and it, you'll just be like, "Can I, mate?" That's what you'll say because <laughs> that's how you sound normally. Isn't I was it? waiting for that. Yes, exactly <laughs> like that. But we will introduce our next guest, who's another journalist, and on his Twitter has the hashtag Team Ginger. Yes. He is, of course, Barry Anderson. Barry, how are you? Yeah, I'm all the better for you introducing me with that hashtag, Ryan. Thanks very much. <laughs> I'm just secretly loving the fact that tonight I'll be getting to ask you some questions and not the other way around. Aye, I, I thought you might relish that. Can't get away. <laughs> I've got plenty to hide, so... <laughs> How are you going, though? You all good? Yeah, fine. Fine this end. Um, enjoying enjoying a, a season where hearts are doing quite well and it's, uh, and it's all pretty positive stuff covering them. So uh, it makes the job easier, which is... Not always been the case covering hearts for the last few years. When we've got Sorry, Nat Atkinson on the show, Ryan, are you going to speak like that to him and, and Cammy Devlin, or are you, are you just going yeah. to go normal Aussie? I would go normal Aussie for them because they'd be under they'd be able to understand me better than used to. We can, we can understand you've got a, you've got a nice Australian accent. Natty's um, Natty's a uh, Tassie guy, isn't he? Yeah, they they have a different language down there. <laughs> You can see his eyes are a little bit closer together. The Tasmanians are a little bit different from the rest of the Aussies. Barry, you were saying before we came on air, you've got um, relatives in Tasmania, haven't you? <laughs> <laughs> uh, their eyes aren't quite as far as close together. I'm pleased. Oh, no, guys, she's uh... in Melbourne. She's just had a baby recently, um, so that's my Australian. Oh. She's got together with. Her. We're an Australian guy, and they've just had a baby. My nephew was born last Saturday yeah, in, yeah. in Melbourne. So, yeah. Um, I have to say, I know we're, what, two or three minutes in. Um, I don't know if I'll be able to continue. I've, 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 got, a, I've got an injury. So I'm going to – I think I'm going to have to be <laughs> substituted here because I think what happened at Tannadice is starting to rub off on me, um, and, and I, don't yeah. feel, I don't feel great. You called the Tannadice Five. <laughs> the Tanadice Five, yeah. What was that all about? You ever known anything like it, you two? 
Uh, I haven't, you know, in all the games I've covered, what is it now, 22 years I've been doing this job, I've never seen anything like it in my life. You, you, we were sitting in the the press box and you're typing out your report, obviously, as things happen. And so a sub would, would come on and somebody goes off injured. So you're taking a note of that and what the injury might be and whether they hobbled off or were carried off or whatever. And then something else would happen and you would look up and somebody behind you would go, oh, there's another one off. And you try to take a note of that. <laughs> taking that note. Somebody's gone, there's somebody else gone down. So <laughs> it was relentless. I've never seen anything like it. Plus, it wasn't just Hearts players, obviously, because... Um, Ryan Edwards got a, a really bad one from from Big Sims in the, in the first half and blood all over his face. So he had that to take a note of as well. It was uh, I've just never seen anything like it, and, and all in the one game. And I don't think anybody involved there that was speaking to afterwards, none of them could believe it either. On both sides, Hearts and Dundee United. Yeah, I thought it was quite not clever as such, but Robbie um, noting that Cochrane was a head knock because it was a kind of he just kind of went down off play, didn't he? Yeah. Um, so, you know, use that sort of rule to our advantage. But we're going to touch on the result against Dundee United at the, week, at the weekend. Barry, we'll chat to you a little bit about some stories from your time covering Hearts, and then we'll look forward to the Scottish Cup final at the weekend against St. Mirren. Scottish Cup final? Uh, Wait, what now? Quarterfinal. Quarterfinal. Sorry, did I say that? I was going I'm to getting say, ahead of myself a little bit. Oh, normally this is where Laurie would inject some like kind of quirky stings that go. Whoosh. So we're doing it vocally now because the editing, if there is any, is going to be very limited. So um, very, very limited. Yeah. So we're going to move to the next topic, and here's your sting today. <laughs> I'm just used to talking about Scottish Cup finals. I don't, I don't worry about quarterfinals and all that. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> you right. one? Hearts took on Dundee United on Saturday which is a big game for both clubs as Hearts try to extend the gap in third while United have their own fourth place Hearts named an unchanged lineup from the one that seen them win 2-0 against Aberdeen midweek Robbie going for his trusted 4-2-3-1 formation with Gordon and goals back four of Atkinson, Suda, Halkett and Kingsley two sitters of Dev- Devlin and Beningami with Mackay, Boyce and GMS supporting Sims up front you pretty happy with that lineup, Mark? Yeah, I was. And <laughs> I put a tweet out after Hearts put the lineup on social media. I say, well, what, what, what are they going to moan about now? They'll, I'm sure they'll find something, those <laughs> that you usually do. But there wasn't too much to moan about. Um, I think, what was it, the third time that we'd named the same lineup all season? I don't know why you would change things, but that doesn't necessarily mean that it would be unchanged. And yeah, ha- happy. With that, we spoke last week, didn't we, about this flexible formation and that it can be a 4-2-3-1, it could be a 3-4-3, 3-4-2-1. Like the formation, uh, like the start, really, really like the start um, to this game. And then players started dropping like flies. Yep. So Hearts did get off to the dream start. Um, Boyce getting on the score sheet. Gordon collecting a ball before springing Mackay out on the right. The winger taking the ball up the field before switching it to GMS, who slid a lovely ball into the United box. Boyce running onto it, and his so-called weaker foot then thundered home an unstoppable shot across the keeper and into the top corner. Is that the quickest goal this season? Must be. Barry, you've been at pretty much all the games. I can't think of a quicker one. Can you? It's the quickest Hearts goal this season, certainly. Yeah, I mean, I'd be pushed to to see whether, you know, if you're involved in any other teams, I would doubt it, but you, you never know. Um, 
I certainly the quickest Hearts goal that I can think of, definitely. Came from their chance, didn't it? They had a chance up the other end, Ryan, and we yeah. broke quick. I mean, I, I don't know if it, it's something that's just become evident over the past few weeks, um, like the penalty save from Craig and then the quick distribution. Is it something you think he has been working on or is it something he's been doing all the time and we've just not noticed it, how quickly he is able to turn an opposition attack into a Hearts counter-attack? I think it's a little bit of both. I, I, I do see a lot of goalies, when they do catch the ball, they, they tend to sprint you know, to the edge of the box and try and do it. I just feel like um, we now have those players that are in those sort of higher positions with at the start of that game, GMS and Mackay that sort of stay in those positions that because you have Devlin and Beningami that can slide across, it does allow them that little sort of breathing space to stay higher up on the pitch. And um, yeah, it did work perfectly at the weekend and it could have worked perfectly against Aberdeen, like we said last week. And, you know, it's definitely something that in the modern game, transition is so important. Um, you know, there was a crazy stat in the last World Cup where, I think it was 60, 70% of goals came from uh, 10 seconds after you lost the ball. So in that, you know, I think we spoke about it yep. earlier on in the year in the podcast is when you lose the ball, teams are out of position. You know, you almost have one sort of formation for when you've got the ball and another formation for when you don't and getting that transition and being able to have those players that can hurt you um, in transition is so important in the modern game. Barry, you think that, that, that Robbie knows his best 11 right now or do you think he knows his best formation or uh, with everybody fit because there are obviously one or two issues right now? And if not, how close do you think he is to, to knowing his best 11 and his best formation? Yeah, he's, it's actually a really good question at the moment. He, he's Earlier in the season, he was going 3-4-3 regularly and that was working fine. Recently, he's changed to the, the 4 one setup, but it's quite interesting because out of possession, Hearts funnel back into a, a, a 3-4-3 or, or if you want to call it a 5-4-1 um, because Mackay Steven is really key to the way he set them up in this 4-2-3-1 system. He plays wide in the left of the three and when they're out of possession, he drops back into a left wing-back role. Kingsley shunts in a little bit beside Halkett and Suter and then you've got, on Saturday, it was Atkinson in the right wing-back role. So you've got your back five there in front of Gordon when you're out of possession. It works really well, but Mackay Stephen is the key to it. I'm not sure if Hearts have another player. Cochrane maybe, but Cochrane, I don't I don't know if Cochrane is, is as good offensively as he is defensively for Hearts. Andy Halliday is another one who could play that, that kind of role, but he's more of a, a centre midfielder who would just kind of fill in out there. Um, but it's a very fluid formation and, and it works well, flipping between a back four and a back three during play. And, and I think that's been a lot of the quite central to the, the recent results that they've had, the, the the win against St Mirren and then beating Aberdeen and then they, sh- they probably should have won at Tannadice and but for the injuries they very well might have. It just had, had such a, a destabilising effect on the whole team but the, the, certainly the three games they've played well enough across those three games since they went back to about four. Yeah, exactly. And, and the first sub was GMS. Now, I think I've seen it reported that he's got a suspected broken hand. Barry, do you have any inside information on that one? Yeah, he's broken his hand, mate. Yeah, definitely. Um, so he can't play on Saturday. And He can't? Cannot. Yeah, cannot. Oh, okay. So you, you've also... Cochrane's out as well because he, had a, he was a concussion sub, so he's got to stick to the concussion protocol. So that rules him out. 
Oh, that's interesting. What what is the the con- concussion protocol in in Scotland, Barry? Ten days, apparently. Okay. Um, okay. You're not allowed any contact sport for ten days. I think in some mm-hmm. cases it, it can be reduced to seven, but I'm not sure of all the ins and outs. Generally, I think most clubs will stick to the ten. Um, so anyway, he's not expected to be taking part this weekend. Uh, so that's two fairly. There's also you've got Mackay Stephen out, and then a possible replacement out as well in Cochrane. So that creates that problem on the left side that I was just speaking about. Yeah, and, and there's also a, a concussion test. So I remember when I was at Bradford and Sydney, you do a it's like an online concussion test. It, there's maybe 30 or 40 questions that you have to f- sort of fill out within a time limit. And um, you then have to continuously do that when you've had a concussion and they try and work out if they can see any sort of differences. It's it's A lot of it will be like, say, seven sequences of numbers will come up and then they'll flash off the screen and you need to put them in that order or you need to put them in reverse order. Um, I think another one's maybe... I think it's 15 words appear right, or 20 words. Do that even without a bang in the head. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, it goes on your score. It goes on your score. So a few of us were talking about that, just saying you can just get one right out of each one so that if you are concussed and you happen to play that game, as long as you get two of them right. But yeah, and then I think it's like 15 words. I'd be up for the rest of the season. I would never get the numbers. Week after, yeah. I'd be sitting at the training ground trying to get the numbers in the right order. I'd be out to the summer. <laughs> Yeah, and there's 15 words. You have to remember, you know, those 15 words and see how many you can get. And um, yeah, so it is interesting that sort of uh, concussion rule. And and yeah, it's a big blow for Hearts looking at, at this weekend's game if, if those two players are out, isn't it, Mark? Yeah, it is. I just want to give a tip of the hat to, to Lawrence Brody. I didn't know um, that, I knew there were five subs, but I didn't know you could only make them in, in three uh parts of the game plus at half time so when Halliday came on for Cochrane um, theoretically that would have been their third change and their, their last change of the game out with half time but because it was a, a concussion sub they were able to bring on Toby Civic just as well for John Souter um, in the second half and I think uh, is it is it five subs plus a concussion sub or is it five subs that include a concussion sub but don't include one of the, the three during the game, Barry? Yeah, I think that's right. You're allowed five subs plus a concussion sub, but you're only allowed to stop play three times separate from the con- concussion sub. So could Hearts have, have made a sixth sub? And apologies for throwing this on onto you, because I didn't. I knew about the five subs, but Lawrence Brody was the one that told me about the, the three stoppages of play. If Hearts had wanted to bring on another sub, could they have done so or one, two, three. No, they couldn't have done. They would have had to do it at the same time as Civic, wouldn't they? The yeah. If let me think, how many stoppages did they? Co- have? Cochrane's yeah. one, yeah. Haring's yeah. two, yeah. Civic's three plus one at half time because the Cochrane one doesn't count. So if Hearts wanted to make another change, which would have been six in total, even although one of them was a concussion sub, they would have had to have made that change at the same time as bringing Toby Civic on for John Suter. I think that's right, I'm sure. Yeah, you could end up with six subs in theory, but as long as there's only yes. three stoppages in play. That don't include that. Yeah, so it was it was just a bizarre game, um, right? because you're off to such a good start. And I thought Hearts were in control um, first five, six, yep. seven minutes. And, and you're, you're just thinking, this could be 
well, being Hearts fans, maybe you're not thinking this could be three, four or five, but it looked like it should be the way that they took them to it. But I think it was the nature of, of I mean, Gary McKay-Steven had started the game well. I just, yeah. Cochran came on and as Barry was talking about, different type of player, more defensive player. And we, we didn't seem to have, I think they realised, okay, Gary McKay-Steven's threat is gone. We can maybe push up. Uh, push up a little bit because of that. But it was strange, wasn't it? Yeah, it was very strange. And then, obviously, Devlin going down with his hamstring, looked like a hamstring. Um, I messaged him because I wasn't sure if it was his hamstring because I don't think he's quick enough to pull a hamstring, which he uh, (laughs) didn't find too funny. But um, So he was replaced on 30 minutes. And I remember thinking at that point, yeah, Hearts could be in trouble here because, like you said, you've already used two windows. To, to bring those players on. And then Cochrane goes down six minutes later. And I was thinking, oh my God, that's then made all their subs. It wasn't until later that I realized that they'd use that um, concussion. But I think Robbie, those last 10 minutes of the first half, Robbie must have just been thinking, I need to get these boys <laughs> into the change rooms at half time and just reassess because you could see them on the sidelines or flicking through papers. Naismith was helping out even just your organization for set pieces for, for corners. I don't think you're ever expecting three different players to be coming on in that first half. I've never seen it before. No, no, it's it's, it's rare. And that's where I think the the coaches, um, both Robbie Nielsen and Tam Courts, but especially Robbie deserve credit because I think ultimately that's a good point for, for hearts in the end, the way that, that things happened and, to get off such a quick start and then off to such a slow start in the second half, to go behind um, when Nicky Clark scored the penalty after. I mean, I think it was Suter's challenge that hurt him. I think he got hurt by mm-hmm. making that challenge, um, which which they scored from. And to, to eventually get a point, because we spoke last week about the, the hearts and the chasing pack. And I think if Dundee United had won that, they themselves would have been within 11 instead of within the 14 that they are right now and ultimately with every, as it seems to be happening these days everybody around us seems to be either dropping points or drawing with each other and and not making a dent um and we're now 13 points clear so yes it would have been 12 points but but still i think i think robbie deserves a lot of credit for for the changes i think halliday's played five different positions and and those that that came on had to play so many different positions and and that that can't be easy for the for the players barry to come on for one job and end up doing three or four others? No, it's not. They, they, just, they, they, they did look for a, a period in that second half completely disjointed, understandably so, because of all the changes that they had to make. Um, good character to fight back and get a draw and, and, and an important point. A, 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 an important point at a difficult place, I think, as well, because Dundee United have been very good this season under Tam Corps. Um, I've been impressed with them every time I see them, pretty much. So... Yeah, I think they accept under the circumstances you, you've got to accept the point and, and kind of get down the road and regroup. Just going on that, obviously at half time, Atkinson then went off. I think he was uh, reports saying that he wasn't feeling too well before the game and then he stayed in for, for half time. But a minute later, ex Hearts player Liam Smith absolutely rifled one into the top corner, leaving Scotland's number one with absolutely no chance. Is that the best away goal that we've seen against Hearts this season, or would Celtic's one at Tynecastle be up there for you to? Yeah, putting us on the spot. I would go. I think Hatati just edges it for me because of the distance involved, and mm-hmm. 
and I think probably the stage of the game as well. It was it was just such a an unexpected goal at that point. Um, but credit to Liam Smith. I mean, that was a, a superb strike of the weekend, and your Craig Gordon had absolutely no hope of stopping it. Um, played very well, Liam, Liam actually in midfield. I was really impressed with him in there. He did very well, didn't he? Yeah, um, I hadn't seen him play there before, and I thought he looked more than comfortable. Did you have any dealings with um, with Liam when you were back um, training, Ryan? He was only he's twenty five uh, years old, but do, do you know the kid? Uh, briefly, briefly, no. I'm, a couple of times I've I've been back and trained, and he was always one that you could tell was going to do well purely from his attitude. You know, he, he had a great attitude and by all accounts, he's a really good kid. And um, yeah, he was definitely someone that I was impressed with. Like Barry said, I had never seen him at, at centre midfield and um, I thought he, he suited it really well in a game that was, it was a tough game. It was a good battle between you know, two clubs that are wanting to be where exactly where they are and sort of challenging for third and fourth. And um, I thought he handled himself really well there. No complaints about the penalty. Um, just one of those things. It was clumsy, and I thought Craig nearly got to it as well. Uh, that would be back-to-back saves if he'd made it. But when you're 2-1 down, and Barry quite rightly said, there was a period of 10, 15 minutes, you just thought, this ain't happening for Hearts. Uh, too many changes were made. There was another one with, with Suter having to go off. I th- was it me, or did Civic look nervy when he came on initially? Yeah, he did. Um... I'm not sure exactly why, uh, because the position was should have been more uncomfortable for him. But yeah, he did look a little bit unsure of himself, um, which is unlike him. Because I think he's a very good player. I think he's a great signing overall for Hearts. But, mm. um, maybe mm-hmm. not performance on, on Saturday. Another set piece goal. I also think it's yeah, but I also just think it's a little bit not harsh on him as such. But all the games that he has been played in. Uh, games where hearts have been a little bit backs against the wall, you know, like Hibs at Easter road. And then I'm sure he played at Ibrox away. Then the weekends game, you know, (laughs) having had four subs already coming on when you just got, well, just uh, United had just scored. So you're two, one down. They're like not ideal situations to be going on as on as a player. And, um, I can feel a little bit sorry for him because I feel like he has done well in those difficult circumstances, but definitely at the weekend, he little he looked a little bit unsure of himself. I think it's probably the best way to do it as if he's um, just trying to find a little bit of form and probably find where he fits in the, the so-called pecking order. Yeah. But, um, yeah, and you can try too hard, I'm sure, Ryan, trying too hard to, to impress. I mean, the club's shown faith in him again. They've signed him. And look, okay, I'm not going to... Judge, it was a, a small sample size. What I want to kind of focus on with you, Ryan, is from a player's perspective, we've spoken at times this season about Hearts um, being proactive, but maybe kind of going freestyle and, and kind of doing their own thing. They might have worked on something, but the circumstances and the situational uh, mode of the game dictates that's not working anymore. We have to try something different. There's only so much the manager can get on to you. How difficult is it as a player especially someone like Andy Halliday, who's played five different positions in 51 minutes of, of, of action, just to, to be guided by instinct rather than, than tactics. Yeah, I think that's where Hearts have excelled this season in terms of, like we all said, after about 60 or 70 minutes, you were thinking this game's probably going to peter out. That Very unlikely that Hearts, going by recent results there and 
years gone by managed to pull something out, not because of anything other than if they had lost 2-1, people would have been saying, right, you had to make five subs, three in the first half. People were playing everywhere. It, United's a good team. I think everyone would have not accepted it, but they would have understood that. But I thought that this year, um, especially in a f- certain games, but at the weekend, they just showed that little bit of grit and determination to be like, well, you know what? It isn't our day. Things are going against us, but let's just try and get away to to get a result. And again, I thought Halkett comes up with a, a great header, but I think it's his, just his sheer determination to get on the end of it. As soon as that ball came across, he was making sure that he was the one that was going to get his head on it. And um, yeah, thankfully it went in and, and rescued a really good point because like you said, everyone are around hearts drop points and extends it to, to 13 points with mm. what is it seven games to go eight, eight games, games to go eight or nine uh eight games to go eight games to go um what, what is, changed with, is massive what, it is it is what, what's changed with the set pieces this season barry because free kicks anywhere within range kingsley's happy days um, but from corners as well, Ryan's just spoken about the, the hunger and the eagerness for Halkett to to want to to win the ball, the determination. Is it a bit of that and a bit of, of a better delivery from, from set pieces? What, what's the biggest thing that's changed, uh, Barry? Because you, you've seen and been to all the games. Yeah, they've, they've varied the set piece deliveries, corners and free kicks, really, because, you've again, you've had multiple options. Barry Mackay's been a, a huge yeah, influence on in sure. set piece delivery. And that's why the quality of the delivery, or partly why the quality of the deliveries has improved. Um, but you've also had Cochrane, who's swung in a few free kicks, um, particularly well at times. You've had uh, Mackay Stephen when he's been on the park, um, and it's been they've had that variety about it. Which so so it's unpredictable. The players, obviously, the Hearts players know roughly what the plan is, depending on who's bit stepping up. But the the opposition don't. So that there's that element of surprise. But I think. Halkett, for me, Ryan, you touched on it there, Ryan, you're absolutely spot on. Um, just that determination to, to get there, that's so, in a defensive and an offensive sense, it's so underrated because when Halkett's not in the middle of that defence, that raw aggression isn't there. So John Souter's a far better player with Craig Halkett beside him, in my opinion. Um, not to say yeah. that he can go to Rangers and do well and, and succeed there, but Halkett's uh, raw qualities, if you want to call them that, make him the ideal foil for Suter. Um, and at the same time, you give Craig Halkett the ball at his feet. Uh, he's capable of you know playing a pass out, at the right kind of pass out in the midfield as well. I just think he's, he makes such a difference in that defence. And his hunger and eagerness to get in there and get on the end of the ball made such a difference in that goal. I also think it's a long time. I remember when I was playing and, and being involved in teams, when you have so many dangerous people that can score from a set piece it's really difficult for the other team to to decide who picks up mm. and nine times out of ten you have somebody who's maybe not the strongest possibly a full back or a, a center midfielder that's not really that keen on on marking someone but if you're an opposition manager and you're looking at hearts team when when everyone's fit you've got how could if kingsley's not taking it he showed last week how good he is in the air kingsley suda Big Peter Herring, Boyce. That's you're looking at five or six players who you're Seven. confident that 
Sims, you're confident that can score. There's six players. What other team has six really good defensive set piece markers? You know, one of those six is going to be on someone who they're thinking, oh, I fancy my chances here. I could get on the end of this. And and I think that's a big reason why this year um, they've scored a lot more goals, adding with the quality of, of the delivery. You know, I always you- think sometimes if... If the run's perfect, if the ball's perfect, that it can be so hard to defend. Where do you think you were in the pecking order for the opposition when it came to biggest threats when you played for Hearts? Oh, way down the end. Way, way down the end. Um, we used to have, so Zaliukas and Webster would normally get picked up by the other centre-backs. Then we had Beedy, who was joined in, so he would be floating around. So I was almost having sort of the fourth best of their sort of defensive players on me. So I used to be quietly confident. It used to either maybe sometimes be a fullback um, or like that, a centre midfielder who you just, I used to just think I'll, I'll probably get the better of him if, if the ball was good. And um, yeah, that's why I think I scored three or four goals in, in my last season at Hearts. And I think that uh, the big reason was because, you know, the, the, best markers were marking Webster and Zaliukas and Craig Beatty and it allowed me to sort of get on the end of things and mm. and be able to make a nuisance of myself and I think that's what Hearts are enjoying just now is because yeah. if, if you're an op- opposing manager who, who do you pick who do you think's the best for Hearts it's difficult you, you're going to end up on having someone marking someone who you, you're not 100% sure on by the way Barry um, what's what's the the update for the weekend about the six um, players who had to come off at Tanadice. How are we looking for uh, who might and who might not be be available? You've already mentioned a couple that probably won't be. Yeah, uh, well, at the moment, the Nathaniel Atkinson and Josh Janelli, they're confident that both of them will be available. Uh, Cammy Devlin and John Sutter are pretty much touch and go. They're hopeful, but I, w- I wouldn't say they're confident in it in any way over the two of them. And as we said, Gary Mackay, Stephen and Alec Cochran are expected to miss out. So two in, two out and two middies. I've heard inside information that Devlin and Suda are probably three to four weeks. Oh, that's my my scoop. That that wouldn't surprise me. I think I was, I think it would have been a little bit cute earlier on when I spoke to somebody in there that they were hopeful uh, about about Suter and Devlin. I mean, if Devlin's a hamstring and he's not playing this week, in my opinion, uh, <laughs> Suter's ankle, I think he rolled the ankle. So, again, doubtful, to say the least. For a, so, for a cup, you don't, if, if a player's not 100% in a quick no. quarter, you, know, you don't take a risk. So, what, what's the biggest difference? Uh, Haring comes in for Devlin then. So, what's the biggest difference between Haring and Beningamy compared to Devlin and Beningamy, Ryan? Height. <laughs> Hmm. <laughs> um, yeah, that, that's probably the one where, uh, no offense to Cami, but you're probably not losing a huge amount in terms of, you know, we've debated it the last couple of weeks on what is the sort of best two. You, you probably would say that Devlin and Beningamese, Robbie's preferred two in that position. But at the same time, I think anytime Big Peter's stepped in, he's done really well this season. So, I think in, in terms of losing anything there, you, you don't lose too much. Atkinson, I would imagine, should be fit. It, it's probably the like what Barry said, it's the left-hand side of that midfield if, if Cochrane and GMS are both 
injured, you know, who do you slot into that position and and then sort of have to work your game plan around that. If it's Halliday, then it's a little bit more defensively. If it's Janelli, then you could, you know, do you lose that much? It's a different type of player, but it's one that could be pretty dangerous for the for the weekend. Okay, Barry, with with what Ryan said, and and I'm I'm sure he's not going to say something like if he's not heard something like that. You, you're potentially looking at the following lineup against St Mirren this weekend: Craig Gordon in goal, Matty Atkinson, Craig Halkett, Stephen Kingsley, and Andy Halliday, Benny Beningamy, and Peter Haring. Barry Mackay, Liam Boyce, Josh Janelli, and Ellis Sims. What do you make of that lineup? If that is the side or something like the team that is to play against St. Mirren? Yeah, I don't think you're far off there, Mark. I think you're you'd be close to being spot on. The only one I would maybe question would be I think he would be more likely to play Halliday wide on the left rather than Janelli, and therefore play Kingsley at left back with Civic and Halkett as a centre half and Atkinson right back. Mm-hmm. But oh yeah, have, yeah, yeah. It will be, it will be as you said, um, which is a, I think, a strong team and a team that should, you know, on paper anyway, you would be looking at that team and saying that's a stronger team than what St Mirren have. Uh, but cup ties are unpredictable, as you know, so just have to wait and see how it how it pans out. But I think Hearts should be reasonably confident going into a home game against St Mirren with a, with that team. I think Ryan, with what what Barry was saying, I think Barry's right. I totally forgot about. Um, Civic, I think Civic alongside Hulk, it seems the obvious one. It just minimises um, bringing Kingsley inside one and putting Halliday huh. somewhere else. So if it is that lineup, so let's change it to Craig Gordon and goal, Atkinson, Civic, Halkett and Kingsley, Beningamy and Haring, Mackay, Boyce and Janelli Halliday. Sims. Oh, yeah, Halliday, yeah. Yeah. So depend- Halliday on the it- left, yeah. Halliday on the left um, and, and Sims through the middle. He's, he would then have the choice, by by doing that with Toby Sibick um, to replace John Souter, he would then have the choice of of having Halliday in a more attacking um, role, playing the Gary Mackay-Steven role that he played at Tanadise, or bringing Barry Mackay over to the left and playing Josh Janelli on the right. Out of those two options, would you rather have Halliday, Boyce and Mackay, or would you have Mackay... Boyce and Janelli behind Sims. I would go Janelli, just because you're at home. It's a quarterfinal. You want to start on the front foot, um, and I think that just sends a message out to to fans, to players that that you're going for it. You know, you've got a front four almost of Mackay Boyce, Janelli, Sims, who, outside of the old firm, is by far the strongest. I think in terms of all four can, well, Mackay's on school. All four are very good players. Um, have a goal threat, can assist. And I think that is the best way to, to attack this game is to is to be on the front foot. You've got um, Benny and Big Pete in there to, to sort of that mop that up and, and Civic comes in besides Halkett, knowing that, you know, if it is right that Suda's out for a couple of weeks, he's going to get a run of games in there, which, you know, might sort of ease that, that nervousness knowing that he's going to play possibly the next three or four games and it's up to him to then try and make it as difficult as possible to for Suda to get back in. And, um, you know, Robbie's touched on all season, really, that you want a, a good squad and a squad that's able to, if there is a few injuries, that you're not dropping down too much from, you know, the standards that you've set. And 
I think this has worked out perfectly for for that because you know you, you are looking at that team. It's maybe not everyone's first eleven, but on paper that that's a very very strong team to be going into a quarterfinal with. It's a big game for for Hearts, Barry, isn't it? And and the difference coming into this game with their recent form compared to the the Livy game. Livy was just about survive in advance, wasn't it? But there's 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 more optimism now given the form that we've been in ahead of the St Mirren game. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's amazing just how the, the, those couple of results have lifted the place and lifted everybody's spirits. I mean, I, I don't think there was, I don't think the dressing room and, and the coaching staff were particularly down at the at the run that they had. I think one league one in six, um, but they've certainly things have just picked up around the supporters and the, the mood around the place. I think has improved a lot. So, yeah, they're definitely in a better place now going into this game. And again, you can't predict cup ties, but Hearts at home in the form that they're in, sitting, you know, you, you have to, you can easily detach yourself from the league situation because you've got that 13 point cushion. So you don't need to worry about that too much. It's not like it's only a point and teams are breathing down your neck. You can put that to bed for one week, focus purely on the cup. And the cup is, the cup is certainly every bit as important as the league. And you could argue that the cup is more important than the league at the moment because of you probably discussed this before on your podcast the you know the attraction of the the european um carrots that if you that you get if you win the cup this season guaranteed group stage football and you know the guts are three million quid just for taking part so the the the, the prestige of the scottish cup this season is is higher than it's ever been and and that's why it's such a priority for everybody not just hearts uh, barry you touched on there you sort of you know you can sense the the atmosphere over the years, you have been in loads of sort of um, interview rooms or interviewing players or managers, and, and you can sense that. How hard is it for you as, you know, you have a relationship with most of the people and players at Hearts? Do you find it difficult sometimes to ask the question that, you know, sort of fans are wanting to ask without offending the players or without possibly, you know, rubbing them up the wrong way, if that makes sense? Do you find that yeah. difficult or do you find it just that's part of your job and those hard questions need to be asked? Yeah, I don't find it difficult. I think you, you tend to know when you know the, the player or the manager in question, you, you tend to know what kind of reaction you're likely to get. You obviously have to word your questions carefully, but you need to ask the hard questions. That's part of the job. There's no point in being there if you're, if you're not willing to do that. Um, so if you know you're going to get a hard time off somebody who might be you know, a little bit fiery or a little bit touchy about a certain subject, then have a backup question in mind that can, that can take you off that topic. <laughs> um, but at the same time, you also sometimes, if they don't answer the question properly or they try to skip the issue, then you need your backup question to be the same question, just worded differently to try and press them on it a little bit and make sure that you get an answer. So it's, it's kind of thinking on your feet a little bit. Um, and I'd like to think I've got better than that as I've got older, but <laughs> yeah, you might, you might say different, Ryan, after I've spoken to you. Uh, it's a few, yeah, I was going to say it's a few years. You definitely got better since uh, back in 2010, 11, 12. But who has over the years been the one that you look forward to interviewing the most? Is there a player that, that sticks out being like, I hope he's on the, the duties today? Or is there someone that you just over the years have enjoyed speaking to? I'll tell you who was absolutely brilliant to interview, Harry Cochran. And 
Hmm? You probably would expect me to say a much more high-profile Hearts player than that over the years. And there's been a few, don't get me wrong. Andy Halliday right now is, is great. Very honest guy, and you always get a good chat, a good articulate chat from him. Um, but Harry, I think partly partly down to naivety of youth, and that's not a criticism. That it's just it was brilliant from our point of view to have somebody who would sit there and be just so open with you and different mm-hmm. things. I remember one of the very first interviews we did with him. I think it was a I'm sure it was before a a winter training camp, and it was. It, I just a couple of months after he'd scored that goal against Celtic in the 4 0 game. And he's telling us, you know, we're asking him simple, general, everyday stuff, you know, who do you thank for getting to this point? Who have been a big influence on your career? And um, and he mentioned his parents and, and he goes right into, we didn't even need to ask him the question, right into telling us how at night time, half past nine at night, his dad tells him to get to bed. So he gets sent up the stairs to go to his kip and he's not to, you know, he's not to stay up on the PlayStation or anything like that. And his dad's on it, you know, he's basically, he was what, 60, 17 then, by then, I think. So he's basically getting put to bed by his old man at half past nine every night. You know, great, great kind of flowery, um, colourful stuff for us if you're writing up an interview. Um, and I had a chat with him, I managed to get him speaking uh, just when he left Hearts last summer. And he was without a club at the time, just before he joined Queen of the South. And spoke very openly um, or as openly as you would have expected him to speak about the whole Juventus interest in him and things like that and how it came about and what his reaction was and things like that. And it was, I really enjoyed interviewing Harry for that reason, just somebody who's open and, and doesn't hold back and quite happy to give you their honest opinion. How much of, of what you do, Barry, is not appeasing the football club, but doing it with their interests at heart in the knowledge that you don't want to piss them off because it's your bread and butter, but you don't want to be a lapdog to them because you're going to have to write some harsh things at times. How do you do that as a, a, a newspaper reporter who's on the local beat? Well, as I can tell you, it's much easier when they're sitting 13 points clear in third place <laughs> and in the quarterfinals. <laughs> much more difficult when they're in administration and not paying players. So, uh, yeah. It is a balancing act. It depends very much on the circumstances at the time. Uh, at the moment, it's everything in the garden is pretty much rosy at Hearts, and apart from a few injuries, they're, they're doing you know they're, they're doing well this season. The the, the points total is good. The league position is good. They're still in the cup, uh, so there's there's very little to complain about. Previously, sure. sorry, on you go, Mark. No, I was I was going to say previously. I was just going to say previously, obviously, it hasn't always been like that because the last few years they've really underachieved, and you've had to you've had to go in and speak to people like Craig Levine, and who maybe doesn't always take criticism uh, too well. I'm not saying that I do or others do either, but you know you're going to have to go in and ask some hard questions and or write some harsh articles, and they'll be on the phone because they'll not just Craig, you know, I get a few other managers previously they'd be on the phone. Oh, what about this and. Why has this been said? Why was that written? And just questioning what you know why you've done it again. You're probably because you know every game and every press conference you're probably an easier target than somebody who works for a different newspaper and only turns up to one Hearts game in six because <laughs> it's rotated or whatever. Um, who who was the toughest Hearts manager? Um, who was the one that you struggled because ultimately. Your job depends on the content that, that you get. Um, 
And it, it can be hard when they don't pick up the phone at, at, at times where you've previously agreed that they'll speak to you every Tuesday morning at eight or, or whatever. Who was who the one you, you've really struggled with during your time at Evening News? Edward Malofiev, because I don't speak Russian. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was quite glad when he didn't pick up the phone because I didn't, I mean, I'd never had a translator with me. Um, no, it was a, to be honest, I've, I wouldn't say there's any of them that I've actually not, you know, downright not got on with. Some I've got on with more than others. Um, Chaba Laszlo, I still keep in touch with, touch with Chaba to this day. He, for me, he got Hearts. He got what Hearts was about as a manager. Um, not everybody's cup of tea. I fully get that. You know, I know there were people in there that didn't take to him as well. But from a from a media perspective, he was very helpful. Um, <laughs> Just needed to say hello, didn't you? And then twenty minutes later, you get another question. <laughs> you, you you phone him up. You know, nine o'clock in the morning, and by quarter past nine, he's still on the phone. But you've got enough content for a four-page pullout the next day. <laughs> <laughs> I could just take the. I could take two days off. I've interviewed Chaba. There's the pieces. Bang, bang. On. <laughs> it was something else. And and player wise, um, while you two are on right now, let, let's let's kind of get into this. I I don't want to make his head even bigger than it is, but there was there was never a bad time to to interview Ryan McGowan because he got it. And and it gave you what, what you were looking for. It, it wasn't the, the, the cliched bullshit that you get from those youngsters that have been media trained to within an nth of their of, of their lives. So where does Gowser compare when it comes to, to kind of players that you, you've interviewed and actually you kind of thought, yeah, they get this and, and they're not just giving me cliches in response. Yeah, to be fair, I'm not just saying that because he's he's on this podcast. Ryan's been very good. Mm, better be careful what you're saying. <laughs> as a as a newspaper, he's he's picked up the phone, he's phoned you back, he, he'll send you a text, oh, he phoned me this time or that time. And I've, you know, I don't know how many countries I've interviewed you in now, Ryan, but it's probably <laughs> five or six easily. Fair few, yeah. Um, a fair few. So you know that if there's a little issue, you know, hearts-wise, that he's maybe qualified to speak about a defensive thing or, or even, you know, he's doing well with Australia. I remember doing a couple of pieces with you in the build-up to the 2014 World Cup, I think it was. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah, just great to have people like that that just that just understand what you're after. Ryan's very media savvy, obviously, and and gets the, the whole the whole gist of the thing. So you need people like that that you can text and, and yeah, no problem, give me a phone in a couple of hours or whatever. Is it, is it about the brand, Ryan? Because a footballer's career is very short and you do the podcast with, with Laurie and I on a weekly basis and, and the, the, the feedback from, from your involvement in it has, has been very good, so thank you for that. But is the whole relationship that you have with various members of, of the media um, kind of thinking way down the line in that this might be an avenue for you if you don't fancy coaching or managing um, at the end of your career? Um, yeah, definitely as I've, I've got older, that's something that um, has appealed to me more than possibly when I was at Hearts. But I I don't know if it's so much about growing up in Australia, we only used to be able to go off players' interviews because we, you know, we, we didn't get huge amounts of articles and we couldn't go to the stadiums and we didn't have, you know, you never bump into any of those players that you got to watch. So... I understood from a very, very early age how key of a role the media plays in terms of how they can portray you and, and how um, 
you know, people would bring up or people would speak about the words that you've said in an interview. Um, so I was always sort of very wary of that in terms of saying the right things, but like you said, not giving the old cliches because there is nothing worse than than hearing cliches. But at the same time, then once you get into that environment, um, I'm not sure if, well, Barry, you probably know, but a lot of the times, especially when I was at Sydney, we would have like a, a meeting beforehand with the media manager and he would say, you know, our boss, you know, so for example, if it was at Hearts, Robbie Nielsen said how important this game is, um, you know, re- really put, put emphasis on we want good crowd numbers there. We want to make sure that we're on the front foot. And so he would give you a few sort of key points, like you said, from that the club are wanting you to say and at the same time, you know, avoid questions regarding Suda's contract or the injuries, you know, just be very blase about that. So yeah. a lot of the times when you do go into those interviews, you've been told beforehand what the club almost wants you to say without you, without them actually saying it. Um, so it is a bit of a balancing act between giving the interviewer enough of what they want and at the same time, obviously not pissing your club off. So it, it is something that's I find interesting and, and I do really enjoy, but um, yeah. And then the, I also think sometimes as, as you get older, I remember being at Hearts and if we'd had a defeat or a, you know, a bad result, senior players stepping up onto saying, I'll go do the media or I'll answer these questions. Or if you're going through a sticky patch, you very rarely see a younger player being thrown into that limelight. And um, I think that's also a good thing because as a younger player, you then get to see inside that changing room and, and what's happening. Then you see a senior player say in the media, you know, the right things or nine times out of 10, the right things. I've, I've seen a few that have said the wrong things and see how that can affect, you know, sort of the public image of the club. So it is something that in this day and age is, is bigger and, and it's a little bit harder for the clubs to control now with Twitter and Instagram and, uh, you know, a lot of players either get themselves in trouble or can actually sort of give themselves a little bit more backing from the crowd with tweets and Instagram. So it can work both ways, but um, yeah, it is definitely something that, that interests me and, and something that, uh, yeah, I'm possibly thinking about moving once I hang up the old boots, but it's, um, yeah, I, I was just going to ask Barry, is there a player that you, you probably not, you're obviously not going to name him, but one that you sort of went, oh no, not him today, or <laughs> you've had sort of struggles with it in terms of they just gave you absolutely nothing? Um. Not as such, but uh, I'll tell you a little bit of a story from when I was younger. Um, I started off writing for the, the Sunday Post in Glasgow, and that was my first sports writing job, uh, just fresh, you know, out of uni, still wet behind the ears, blah, blah. So Dundee signed a Georgian player called Zura Kizanishvili, who went on to play for Rangers probably remember um and he you know i had for some bizarre reason watched a few under 21 international games and he played in one of them for georgia under 21 this was about two three months before this so i, I recognized the name and he was he played really well and he was really highly rated so anyway he comes over to dundee and i said to the sports editor i, I want to go up and interview this guy so off i went again completely wet behind the ears so i've got up there and i realized he obviously he's 19 years old he doesn't speak any doesn't speak any English, very little English. My Georgian isn't what it should be. So 
I, I got up there and there's a frantic scramble to try and find people who can actually interpret for this guy. So I ended up, and, and this wasn't, this was, Dundee were perfectly helpful, right? And I can't credit them enough for this, for trying to, trying to help me out in this situation, but it was just purely got very little out of this interview for the circumstances I'm just about to tell you. Um, the only way that we could do the interview, remember we were standing in the middle of the Dundee dressing room at the training ground, and the only way we could get the interview done was for me to ask my question in English. A guy called Dario Magri, who was a kind of administrator round about Dundee at that point, he was an Italian guy. So he translated my question from English into Italian. The captain, Georgian Mzadze, who was a Georgian guy and spoke Italian, he translated the question from Italian into Georgian. And then Kizanishvili would give his answer in Georgian. And then the whole process had to go in reverse <laughs> to get my, for me to get my answer. So you can imagine one answer took about 20 minutes the time all this has happened. Uh, but in between that, right, at the back of the dressing room, the kit man, the, Dund the broad Dundonian kit man, I forget his name, but he's a bit of a character up there at the time. He's trying to teach Marco De Marci, who's an Italian player, he's trying to teach him how to say the word tracky trousers in broad Dundonian. <laughs> right? So in between, when, I, when I listen to this, this back after all the translations and all the English and the Georgian <laughs> and the Italian, in between all that, you've got somebody at the back going, Marco, can you say this? Tracky trousers. Marco, have a go at that. Tracky <laughs> 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 you can imagine um, how difficult that interview was. That was one of the one of the ones I just didn't want to get into again. Every time after that, every time you get a chance to interview a foreign player, the first question was, "Did you speak English?" <laughs> I used to. I mean, we're both good friends, and I'm sure Ryan, you, you've dealt with with Gary Ralston before. Gary was at the Sun and 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 the record, and I remember every time there was a new signing from abroad, he always used to speak slower in Scottish rather than just normal, or try and get the accent or the the, the language that the person speaks. So welcome <laughs> to I'm like, it's not working like that. My favorite story, and I'm sure you were there, Barry, was Malafeev's press conference. One of them. Oh, the lion and the bear. Oh no! <laughs> tell us about that. Ooh, I don't even. I just remember him ranting and raving in Russian. You maybe remember more than me, Mark. Um, and there was a translator there, and, she, and there was a female. She mentioned something about... That was Janet, wasn't it? It probably was Janet. It was either Janet or Karina at the time. Yep. Um, and she mentioned something about the lion and the bear and this, this famous quote, and I remember thinking, what the hell is this? And uh, David Southern at the time, at the end of the, the press conference, descended into a bit of a farce, as you can imagine. And I remember David Southern at the time, the Hearts uh, Communications Director, just saying, yeah, guys, that's, that's, that's it's a quote he's talking about. Just Google it. If you Google lion and bear and that, and it'll come up. <laughs> <laughs> and, and to be fair, he was trying his best to help, but I wouldn't criticise him. It was just the, the whole shambles that, that Hearts had become there for, that, for those few weeks when Malofia was there. It just it baffled me why they thought putting him in charge was a good idea. Well, supposedly... Because the guy that they had, the Belarusian guy, couldn't get a permit to work in Scotland. Um, yeah. I don't know. If, I don't know if that was around the time of of Malofia. I don't know how, because so much happened back then. Um, the, the other story about Malofia was when goodness knows who asked him the question. He must have, after it was translated, he must have given an answer that lasted about two minutes, and then once that was translated, it was something like no. He doesn't think so. <laughs> Just like, what? Yeah. How much of what was said are we actually being told when these things are translated? 
yeah, there, there was a good bit of that going on. Um, I remember him, Ryan, I don't know if you were there, I remember him on a, a pre-season tour in Austria, 2007, I think, maybe 2008. And Stevie Frail was the assistant coach, but he, he was doing a lot of the training. So anyway, they're playing a, a friendly game in this, uh, this stadium in the kind of middle of nowhere. And uh, Jamie Moe was up front at the time and Malofiev is shouting instructions onto the pitch in Russian, right? No attempt to communicate in English. Uh, so he's shouting things at Neil McCann. He had quite a booming voice, you know, you, it wasn't hard to miss him. And he's shouting things at Neil McCann and Neil McCann's just nodding at him as if to go, aye, right, mate. And then he shouted something towards the, the centre forward or the, or the attacking line. I don't know what he said, obviously. And he, he balls and shouts about a good three or four sentences at full blast and then turns around to Stevie Frail and says something in Stevie Frail's ear and Stevie Frail goes, Jamie. And then Malofiev goes, Jamie! Blah, 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 and starts shouting in Russian again. So he obviously didn't even know Jamie. It was actually Jamie Mole that was up there, didn't know his name. Um, just things like that that were going on. Some of the players, Chesnowskis and guys like that, are sitting shaking their heads and going, oh, no. You know, nobody, nobody could get their, hand, their, their head around why this guy was why people were persisting with this guy, but clearly Romanov thought highly of him from what he had achieved in the past. Have you been to a more bizarre press conference than the Rickerton 3? Uh, other than that one I just told you about in the Dundee dressing room, no. <laughs> to be fair, that wasn't a press conference in the Dundee, it was just an impromptu situation that I found myself in. But yeah, the Rickerton 3 thing was, was mental when you have three players hijacking a press conference like that to to basically speak out against their club and their club owner, and particularly, you know, there was no bigger hearts man at the time than Stephen Presley, or Craig mm. Gordon, for that matter, so. What's, when I was at Radio 4th, my deadlines are different from your deadlines. So I have, what I do when something like that happens, I can get it in at the top of the hour in the news bulletin, and then probably the next one after that, I can get the audio once I get back from, from Rickerton down to, to 4th Street as it was. But this was in the days before kind of internet um, and online alerts and, and whatever. And it was probably in the days as well, Barry, when the evening news was actually in the evening um, or certainly kind of your deadline was was a lot later than, than it is yeah. now. So what was your process when something like that happened? What mode do you go into? Yeah, funny you should ask that because that's the, the last time that I ever dictated a story down the phone. And that was common practice for years, as, as yep. you're probably aware, that newspaper writers, usually from football grounds on a Saturday night, um, would dictate their report down the phone um, to a copy taker on the other end who would then type it out and it would get forwarded on to the, you know, the page planners and all the rest of it from there. And that was the last time I did that because we had, the press conference was 12 o'clock, if I remember right that day. Yep. At Rickerton with the, with the Rickerton 3 and our two deadlines, we still printed two papers at the time. One first one went at nine o'clock in the morning and the second one went at half past 12. So that press conference clearly obviously was over and done with inside five minutes because Presley came in and read out his, uh, his pre-prepared speech and then that was the end of it. So I had just enough time to get on the phone, dictate the copy to a copy taker and I got onto the page for half past 12 for the paper going. Um, and one of the people in the office actually came in on Monday and said, oh, what? You know, and because the internet was just, as you say, taken off at that point and stories were going online and people were starting to uh, migrate or gravitate away from 
from from the actual handheld newspaper on the online stuff. So somebody came into the office on the Monday and said, "Oh, I was in the. I think they said they were in the gym on the Friday." And uh, and somebody said, "Oh, have you seen the back page of tonight's evening news? Oh, there's a big story about Hearts and and the the whole they've had a carry on and some of the players have spoken out against Romanov and things like that." So they they appreciated it from the traditional point of view that somebody had actually seen the paper and and was talking about it verbally rather than somebody had sent them a text or, mm. or, or a link to an online piece or whatever. So that was the last time I, I actually did that was dictate a story over the phone that day outside Rickerton. And then we had to chase Romanov across the car park, remember, because he appeared yep. Yep. Yeah, down the stairs out of nowhere. I was going to say you could did write you... a book on it, but <laughs> I'm sure there are many books that, that, that can be written. Um, uh, you've I'm... already written most of them, Mark. <laughs> I'm done, done, finished. Amovsky, um, th- that was th- those were the good old days, and I'm not just talking about Hearts and, and, and Romanov. I'm talking about the local paper. It put the local in local paper. It put the local in local radio. Now, certainly in radio, it's all centralised. You've got one doing it for whatever, and they play ads based on location. And it's not Radio Four back in the day was the most local of local things, whereby people would phone in snow totals and everything like that. Local newspapers were the most local of local things. I, I remember 6.30 in Pennycook. Well, that was our time to get the pink newspaper. We'd, there'd be a line outside. There'd be a queue outside of the, the news agent waiting for the driver at, at, at 6.30. Um, in Pennycook, it was delivered earlier in, in town. But there are people today, um, younger people today, Barry, that, that won't kind of get the fact that the Evening Telegraph used to do a similar version to the pink up in Dundee, and it was written in present tense. Can you imagine doing that now? Yeah, that's a great point as well. I've forgotten about that. Um, they used to write the match reports in present tense on the on the Saturday papers because I used to deliver same as in Dundee and Edinburgh. When I, I grew up in Glasgow, so um, I used to deliver the Evening Times in Glasgow on a Saturday night, and it was the pink paper, obviously the pink coloured uh, newsprint, and all the stuff was in was in present tense. That's right. Um, and it was great. You did see those queues regularly on a Saturday evening outside the, the news agents because that was how people got their mm-hmm. news. That's how they read about their team, how their how their team had played on on that day, and who scored the goals, who got injured, who got taken off, everything. Um, and I, I do miss that a little bit. I must admit, I like I do like all the modern technology, and it's great. It makes your job so much easier. But the, the traditional side of me still actually like sitting down with a newspaper in my hand. Jumping on to uh, Twitter, you put out an interesting tweet tonight regarding uh, an ex-Hearts player, a young Aaron Hickey. Um, you tweeted saying, Aaron Hickey doesn't seem to want to play for Scotland under-21s. No caps since under-17s, despite pl- plenty of call-up attempts. Disappointed if he feels he should jump the queue into the senior squad. Most of us would kill for a Scotland cap at any level, and he's refusing them. What Indeed. do you think about that one, Mark? <laughs> what I think of that one? I was I was waiting yes. for your follow up question to to Barry. Look, I, I'm in the school. If you're if you're good enough, you're old enough. Um, the the problem Aaron has, has got is, is who's ahead of him. But Aaron doesn't just play one position. Aaron can play. He's he's, he's bipedal. Uh, he's he can use both feet. Um, he bipedal. Yes, that's. That, I need to Google this because that could this. Oh, there's always one every week. There's all. There's I've always, never heard that. I've never heard of that. Bipedal using what does bipedal mean? If you are bi bipedalism is a form of terrestrial locomotion 
where an organism moves by means of its two rear limbs or legs. An animal or machine that usually moves in a bipedal manner is known as a biped, meaning two feet. It's basically two-feeted, two-feeted, two-footed. Um, that could easily, have, I could have just said he's two-footed and we could have avoided all that. But you know what? I've got no idea how to edit any of this. So all the shite you're getting this week is the oh. shite that Laurie normally takes out and makes it sound far better than it actually is. Anyway, he can play left back. He can play left center back. He has been playing on the right-hand side at right back and right wing back for Bologna is he better than Nathan Patterson right now well yeah because he's playing and you can't have you can't be hypocritical here and talk about Gordon Strachan saying uh or the, the perception of Gordon Strachan it was favoritism over form oh but I've always picked them and that that's the way it's going to be you pick players based on on how they're doing right now and Nathan Patterson can't even get in a shit Everton team so for me he's a better option at right back than Patterson Anthony Ralston. I'm sorry. I'm I'm having I'm having hickey over over Ralston. So I think he sh- he he should be in the Scotland squad. Now the argument as Barry's trying to make here is can you turn down an under 21 cap? And I, I when I was last home in October, uh saw the under 21 uh, Tynecastle against Denmark. They're not very good, right? But that shouldn't really have anything to do with it. You It's a difficult one. I I think he should be part of the Scotland squad. Um when it's announced, went for this friendly against against whoever, um, and I, I don't think he needs to play under twenty one football. But I don't like the fact that he's picking, choosing when and and when not to be called up. Look, Barry's put the tweet out. I've given you a muffled explanation. I want to hear from you. You are a, a, a you've played at a World Cup for your country. You've played many times. You are eligible for Scotland as well. What's your take on all this? Yeah, I, I don't know all the ins and outs, but I'm not too sure how much of that is possibly a club call in terms of if you're looking at it from their perspective, there's a player that's playing almost every minute of every game, scored a few goals. They might be thinking, what is the risk of him going to an under-21s tournament? And I can, or for under-21 games when it's not the actual national team, and I can remember when I was a young boy at Hearts, we used to have Australian under 20 competitions and Hearts were very against that at that time because I would have to travel. I had a two-week tournament in Vietnam and back then it wasn't, you know, the flights weren't as good as they are now. It was probably a four-stop, 20 or 32-hour flight to get there um, and they were a little bit like, Really, you know, you're so close to the first team, you'll be on the bench in the next couple of weeks. We think it would be better for you just to to stay here and, and develop here instead of, you know, tracking off to Vietnam for a, an under-20 tournament when, you know, in six months' time, if you can play in the first team, you'll be caught up for the national team. So I think sometimes that's possibly a factor behind it. Um, and I was just going to ask you, Barry, is there certain stuff that you have to have, you know, proper sources before you sort of throw tweets out or articles? Is there a, a sort of process that you go through or, um, you know, what's the sort of standard on before you start sort of throwing out those types of things or was that just a one-off you've just heard it and that those views were your own? Yeah, it's very much my own view, Ryan, as a, as a Scotland supporter, you know, watched Scotland since I was a kid and, and I feel, you know, I'm a member of the supporters club. My son is a member of the supporters club. I don't want to give you the family history here, but I feel I'm entitled to an opinion on the matter. And it wasn't an, a, a, 
and I hate Aaron Hickey tweet far from it. I really like Aaron Hickey. I think he's an excellent footballer and I actually agree with people who say that he's good enough to play in the, Scot the full Scotland national team at the moment. I wouldn't dispute any of that. Um, but my, uh, my, my issue with it is he's, he's, he's made a rod for his own back now, but he should have gone to the under-21 call-ups and, in fact, under-19 call-ups previously when he was, you know, when a couple of years ago when he had the opportunity. And then if he'd had a couple of 19s appearances, three or four 21s caps, nobody would have had an issue with him, you know, waiting for an opportunity in the first team, in the senior team, I should say. Um, but he hasn't done that. And it's now, it's becoming a bigger issue. The more he doesn't turn up for the 21s, the, the bigger the issue becomes. And for the SFA, it sets a really dangerous precedent if you're allowing any player, never mind a 19-year-old. I know he's a very good and he's playing in Serie A and all that. But it sets a dangerous precedent if you allow any player to say, no, I'm not going into that squad. I'm going to wait. I want to go into that squad. I just don't, you know, I just don't feel that's right for any country in any. I don't think Australia would do that or allow that. No. Yeah, no. 100%. I agree with but, that. But would your mind be changed if it transpired that Aaron Hickey's not had a say in this? And as Ryan had said, given his experiences, this is Bologna's doing, saying in the in these pandemic times, we don't want someone, because um, Aaron's had COVID, um, he's missed games. And actually, after he had COVID, he struggled to get back into the team because the player who replaced him, and I think this was at the time when Takihiro um, Tomiyasu was uh, was playing for Bologna before he moved to, to Arsenal. Um, and Mitchell Dykes was there as well. He, he struggled to get his place back. So would your mind uh, and your thought process change slightly if you subsequently found out this isn't anything to do with Aaron? He has been told by Bologna, we don't want you playing for them unless it's the national side. Uh, it would change to an extent, Mark, yeah. Um, but if, if, if that was the case, then two things need to happen. One, Scott Gemmell or someone from the SFA has to come out and make that clear that this is more Bologna's influence than Aaron Hickey's. And secondly, Bologna have to come out, whether it be in the Italian media or whatever, and say, you know, we we are not keen for Aaron Hickey, who's a regular in our first team, to go and play under-21 games for, for, for whatever their reason is. You know, they, that, mm. this, is where, this is where people use the media as an easy stick to, or an easy target, I should I say, um, to have a go at them, mm. because people don't want to actually come out and give the real reasons. And all fans and media and whoever want to know is the real reasons. What, you know, what is the real reasons behind this? If you just come out and explain it, then everybody understands. They won't always agree with it, but you have a, a clear picture. Um, that, that's an interesting I point. Thing, I find the whole, quite, whole thing quite disappointing. And, and, and I'm a huge fan of Aaron Hickey. I've interviewed Aaron a few times. Lovely lad. I, I found him very grounded, very humble. Um, so that's what disappoints me about this whole thing. And I think he would be... I think it would be a great addition to the Scotland under twenty one squad, and and I've no doubt that after if in time he would get an opportunity in the senior squad as well. How much of what you have known over the years has ended up in print, and how much has not ended up in print because it's in your best interest, despite knowing it, to keep the relationship that you have. How how difficult a job is that when it comes to exclusives but keeping people on side and not wanting to piss them off um yeah good question you probably know it yourself mark you've been in the same situation yourself it's i would guess for me anyway it's about 50 50 roughly yeah, that's fair that's fair uh, there are times there are certain things that you hear uh, that you just can't repeat 
you know, either in person or in print. Uh, and there's other things that you can that you hear that you can put a little bit out of in print, and you need to keep other things out of it. And you can, in a sense, you know you're maybe only telling half a story, but you simply can't tell the full story because it would either cause too many problems or you would break someone's confidence doing it, uh, that sort of thing. And then there's, you know, when you when, on the odd occasion you happen to get full Buna and you, know, you get chapter and verse on a situation, and then you can go you can go with that and, and run that as your story. So it's, mm. it kind of varies. Um, you, you guys will be in the same position as I am. You know, yeah. you'll hear, of, of course. Ryan will hear more than any of us, I'm sure, in the footballing world, and, and probably a very small amount of it actually makes the media. Well, I mean... Yes, the, the very small. <laughs> the interesting thing is, right, that it's... I, I wonder, without your involvement, I don't think Natty Atkinson would be at Hearts. We had this discussion on, on the podcast... Mm. We spoke about him. Um, I think he was part of a question that either Laurie or, or, or myself asked, is there anybody in the A-League that, that Hart should be looking at? Um, uh, it was then forwarded to, to, to Robbie, and, and oh, that, that's still a hell of a long way to go before that. But there was an element of trust in that we were all involved to a certain degree at the very beginning. And, and there were players that, and, and I'm not going to betray any confidences, here, there were players that you were asked by the football club um, to give your opinion on in the recent January transfer window. Players that didn't end up at Hearts, but th- mm-hmm. there's a lot. There's a lot that goes on, isn't there? That people read what they read, see what they s- see, hear what they hear, and on the message boards, there's gossip, and it's difficult to to kind of at times separate what what might be true and what might not be true. But there's a lot that goes on that people never find out about. Um, but that doesn't mean it hasn't happened. Yeah, I think the football world similar to a, a lot of different forms of work in terms of, you know, if you are word of mouth or, or who you know and you sort of, um, yeah, like you said, you know, Robbie or people from the club have called me on now a number of occasions asking about certain players that's just sort of their little bit of due diligence and and like you said there is that sort of trust of you know keep this between us or keep that between me or you or put in a good word here or put in a good word there and um that is sort of how the football and and the world really works barry Mm. you've you've messaged me a couple of times looking for a little scoop or uh have you heard this i've heard that it's just kind of helping everybody out in terms of you know I need Barry sometimes to to write stories or to, like you said, promote that sort of image or promote what I was doing with either in Sydney or national team or or Hearts. And then sometimes he he would be like, "Guys, I need a, a bit of information on this boy Devlin that we're going that Hearts looking to sign." Or have you heard anything about it? So, it, yeah, I think the football world is a lot smaller than than people think, and there's a lot of stories that that could have been said, but. Um, yeah, it's, it's definitely something that recently with Twitter and with social media, it is a lot harder now to keep that those sort of rumours or those sort of um, things that have happened under wraps because one tweet can take off within seconds and be retweeted everywhere. And um, it yeah, I think it's wrong. a lot easier. Yes, could, yeah, it could be wrong or it could be spot on the money it's uh it is one of those ones that's that is a little bit different and and that's just the way that the world is is working now isn't it it's everything's on 
if you hear anything, for example, Shane Warne, it's a totally different thing. My mate messaged me hearing about Shane Warne. First thing you do is jump on Twitter, type in Shane Warne to see what everyone's saying about it. Whereas, you know, go back 10 years ago, it was you turn on Sky Sports or you would go on Google and try and find it. Whereas um, everything's a lot more accessible these days. It's a big thing though, Barry, isn't there, about being right. If you can be first and be right, then great. But I'd be... 100 times out of 100, I want to be right rather than be first and not potentially be right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and especially just on the back of what you're both saying there about the the online stuff and Twitter and things like that, people will absolutely annihilate you if you say anything, report anything, or even just tweet something that happens to not be correct, you know. Uh, and you know you're supposed to have a crystal ball, particularly in in, the, in this role in this job. You're supposed to have a crystal ball, and you don't have a crystal ball. You, you have a little bit of information, and it is generally only a little bit, and and that's what you go on. Um, mm. So it's, it it can be difficult at times, but um, I think it's what kind of gets my goat a little bit is that if you're on there as a as a football fan as I am in general. Okay, yes, I also happen to work in football as a journalist, and I accept that. But not everything that I tweet is journalism, you know. The journalism goes in the paper or on the website, you know. If I because I because I tweet an opinion about a team or a or, or a player or anything or, or just a general football issue or non-football issue, that's just my opinion. It's no more journalism than the guy next door tweeting his opinion, you know. That, that's that's what um, people struggle to differentiate between the two. Um, especially when you're not tweeting from a like a work account, it's not a BBC account or anything like that. That you know, people are allowed to have their own opinions, um, their own individual opinions on football, the same as any football fan. And it's important before we get to the predictions for the game against Superman, it's important that you use the right words as well, because if they're said on the radio or they're written in print, that's it. It's it's been published, it's been said, and you can't take it back. Likewise, when you're doing a podcast and you've got no idea how to edit this fucking thing. <laughs> uh, and you use the word bipedal instead of ambipedal. And now ambipedal is having the ability to use both feet equally well, which was what I meant. Not bipedal, which oh, is using I'm only two legs at that. for I'm absolutely delighted oh. at that. See, this is when I would have normally said to Laurie, right, do us a favour, um, I'll slip you 20 pence, take that out, otherwise <laughs> I'll look really silly. But you know what? You've got to admit, you've got to admit you fuck up at times. We're all human. Um, Aaron Hickey is ambipedal. He's not an animal that only uses his two hind legs. Osman Dembele is ambipedal. He, as well, is not bipedal. So, yeah, there we go. Seamlessly moving on from fuck-ups to hopefully not fucking up in the Scottish Cup on Saturday. It's prediction time, Gowser. I am going to go for a 2-0 Hearts win at the weekend. And I'm going to go Sims and... Ginelli. Okay. That's my two goal scorers. Now, um, we're not allowed to mention the number 18 potentially scoring because this could be the week he does when none of us mentioned the number 18 for Hearts potentially scoring his first Hearts goal. So we won't. I'll give you a prediction in a second. Um, but Barry Anderson, your prediction with uh, the players that are out, in, maybe's, and who's left against St Mirren in the Cup on Saturday night. What do you reckon? Yeah, I'm on the fence between 2-1 and 3-1 hearts. I would probably probably edge slightly more towards 2-1. 
but more conservative. Okay. A scorer or Goal scorers? Scorers uh, will be Boyce and... Boyce will get both of them, actually. Okay. Oh. I'll take that Mark. right now. I am going to say... I'm going to go an unlikely hero. Andy Halliday to score the winner. But it might go to extra time. Oh. There you are. And if it goes to extra time, so the likelihood well, of... Uh, see, the problem with that is the likelihood of Andy Halliday playing 120 minutes is, is pretty low. So, uh, yeah... Andy Halliday to score the winner with extra time a, a, a possibility. And I just I just wonder, now that we're back with the Ryan McGowan's voice that we know and expect every week, are you going to end the show like this or are you going to go back to your um, Barry Humphreys, Dame Edna, hello and welcome to Scarves Around the Funnel to close us out? I didn't even have a closing speech, so I was oh. just going to... Close it out. I was hoping that you closed it out. I was too. Oh, I, I ran out of time. I was trying to do Laurie's uh, job for him. So I'm happy because we always have a closing song. So it's it's going to be Barry and and Ryan to sing it this week. Given our my lack of <laughs> no idea how to to edit or or put music in. Uh, I just want to thank Barry Anderson um, for 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 coming yes, on. Thank it's you for coming on. It's something we've been trying to trying to do. I messaged you a couple of months ago to see if you'd be interested in doing this and. We're planning to have you on sometime this this month. Um, apologies for the, the kind of late notice. And I also just want to to, to wish um, Laurie Dunsar and, and Laurie's family all the best. And hopefully it's not long before you're you're back on the podcast. But Barry, thank you for uh, coming on with us this week. No, no problem. I've enjoyed it. Thanks for the invite. And I'd echo your message towards Laurie as well. Um, I hope everything goes well for him and thinking of him at the moment, him and his family. Final word for you guys. Yeah. Yeah. Laurie, we're thinking of you, mate. Um, and yeah, Barry, thank you very much for coming on, mate. We appreciate it. And oh, thank come you. on the hearts. And oh, there, there's either going to be two things now. One, the end of the podcast with nothing else after this, or, or two, some musical interlude. It's probably going to be the first one. Come on the hearts. Told you I could do it done, sire.